So I did seminary in Jackson, Mississippi, and while I was there, I would often preach in local churches that had no pastor. It was a great situation because you could go to, um, you know, a dozen or more different churches, and each week you could preach the same sermon, which meant that you could get it like a little better each time, and uh, you know, it was a really helpful sort of tool for for learning how to preach. Uh, one of my favorite of those churches was in a place called Union Church, Mississippi. And the church was called Union Church, and so the church sign said, Union Church, Union Church, which I just thought was great. Anyway, in that small white paneled sanctuary, there's this large, large pulpit, and someone had taped behind the pulpit a note that said, the service ends at 12. It's like, preacher, take note. And so to ensure that none of you felt obligated to uh, affix a similar sign behind this pulpit, we divided last week's text into a two-part sermon. We did half of it last week, and we're doing half of it this week. It's really a a one-hour-long sermon, but I thought that was not the best way to go. Uh, Last week, we spoke about anxiety and peace, and we said that biblically understood, the term anxiety means uh, to fall apart. It means to be uh, torn apart as you're pulled in too many different directions, a feeling we're all familiar with. We then saw that the peace is the antidote to anxiety. Biblically, what the term peace literally means is the sense of being joined together, the sense of being made whole as, as disparate parts are collected into one. It is the New Testament word for that Hebrew word, shalom, that word meaning wholeness and fullness and a sense of, of unity. And this week we're going to focus on the practical tips this text gives us on how we ought to pursue peace. Now, before diving into this, I really want to just encourage you that the goal here is not to throw out some religious, pious-sounding platitudes that that sound like they're the kind of things we should be doing. The Bible is, is much more realistic than that. Paul himself was a man who was familiar with anxiety. He tells us about his struggles with anxiety, particularly in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 3. He tells us that as a preacher, he was filled with anxiety, not as a man with persuasive and eloquent words, but as a man who came in, in trembling. He understood anxiety. The Philippians, the people that he's writing to, are also a people who understand anxiety. In chapter 1, we read that they are suffering and struggling in many ways. In chapter 2, we read that they are struggling as they live in a crooked and depraved generation. Chapter 3 tells us that they've got struggles against false teachers. And then chapter 4 tells us that there are even internal divisions within the church. They were of people who understand, understood what it meant to struggle. Thirdly, you have a preacher this morning who also understands anxiety. Anxiety for me has been something of my thorn in the flesh. And so as we approach this text this morning, it comes from Paul who understood anxiety to the Philippians of people who understood anxiety and through a preacher who is wrestling to understand anxiety. And we're not trying to throw out nice sounding tidbits to make ourselves feel better. We're really seeking the powerful truth of the gospel. The powerful truth of grace that really can make a difference to your life. And surely it's it's made a difference to my life, my life as well. So let's look together then at these uh, half a dozen um, principles, these half a dozen directions that we get on our journey toward uh, peace. 
The first thing we need to know as we pursue peace is that we need to remember. Remember what? Remember verse 5. Remember what we spoke about last week. Remember that the Lord is at hand. Remember that the Lord is at hand. We are reiterating all that we said last time, that for us to live a life of peace, it begins and finds its foundation in a relationship with the one who is himself the Prince of Peace. We believe that Jesus has entered into this world in the past and is with us in this present moment so that we do not need to fear what will happen to us in the future. It's important for us to remember that the gospel is not it's not just a concept. We're not here to reflect upon you know, mercy and grace and, and forgiveness. The gospel in its very essence is a person, and that person is with us. In its very essence, the gospel tells us that Jesus is near. Uh, I remember having newborns, and there'd be that moment in the middle of the night where you would hear the cry, and you'd lie in bed, and you would say, Ugh. I actually spelt that out in my notes, by the way. <laughs> Lots of E's, U's, and G's. Um, and you'd think, oh, you know, and you'd go and, and, and you'd get them. Well, I, I met a guy this week at General Assembly who says that, you know, that he thinks that, that, that the Lord feels the same way about him. When the alarm clock goes off in the morning, Jesus says, oh, he's awake again. <laughs> and if I am not active with my sovereign grace, there is no telling what this guy is going to do. Huh? <laughs> And I really like that image. Uh, Jesus, of course, doesn't have the frustrations we have as parents. I think Jesus feels about us much more how we feel about our children when we watch them sleeping. Um, But what I really liked about this was the sense of of presence that, that this guy I met had tapped into. An awareness that whether awake or asleep or, you know, somewhere in between, Jesus himself is near. That as a parent who is ready and able to help and intervene, so Jesus watches over us, whatever life may bring. As God, he is over us, yet his everlasting arms are under us, and his spirit lives inside us, and he's promised to be beside us, so that no matter where you look, there is one ever-present reality, and his name is Jesus. And we begin our pursuit of peace by coming to him, the Prince of Peace, remembering that he is with us. And I really want to encourage you to to literally do this. Take 10 minutes out of your schedule every day. Uh, Do it over lunch, do it on the commute, do it at a time that works for you. 10 minutes just to quieten your soul, come into his presence and be reminded that he's near. As staff, we all have a little meditation bottle, and it's a small bottle with water in it and some sand. And when you shake it up, there's sand everywhere, and it's all cloudy, and it takes 10 minutes or so for all the particles to settle to the bottom. And if you take 10 minutes, the same thing happens to your heart and to your soul. Beforehand, everything's shaken up, and there's just dust and sand everywhere. And you relax in his presence, remind remind yourself that he is near and find that there's a clarity to your water. Take the time to remember that Jesus is near. Second thing we need to do as we pursue peace, as we flee anxiety and pursue peace, comes to us in verse 4, where we read, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. And I love the language that he uses here. First of all, rejoice. Be glad. Have a happiness in your soul. Know that the Lord is good and celebrate him. Rejoice in what? Rejoice in the Lord. 
at not rejoicing in your circumstances, but in our Savior. We're going to talk more about this next week, but this just important idea that for the Christian, joy and peace are not found in our circumstances. They are found in the Savior who rules and overrules our circumstances, so that no matter what the situation is, we can have peace. This is why he adds, rejoice in the Lord always. Not sometimes, not most of the time, all of the time. And then Paul says, again, I will say rejoice. I love that. In case you forgot what I said half a second ago, or in case you don't think I'm really serious, again I say rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always. This verse is really a gentle reminder to us that in life there are always reasons to be anxious, but there are always reasons to rejoice as well. In life, you can always find something to worry about. You can always find something to complain about. But this verse is saying you can always find reason to rejoice. Whether it's the greatness of the salvation that we've been given in him, that sense of rest and peace that comes from knowing that in the final analysis it is well with your soul and can be well with your soul through faith in Jesus. Or whether it's the myriad of blessings that he showers out upon us day by day, moment by moment. And we want to be a people, Paul is is encouraging us here toward a very intentional form of rejoicing where we don't just let our days pass by without taking time to stop and reflect upon the good things that are ours. And so find practical ways to fulfill this command. Find practical ways to stop and rejoice. It might be journaling. Literally count your blessings. See how many you can come up with. Or maybe it will be um, just often at the dinner table, we'll, we'll go around and we'll discuss something that each of us is thankful for that day. Enjoy that time. Rejoice together. Enjoy the hilarious things that your kids will come up with. Or maybe it's um, just going and doing, doing an activity because you enjoy it. Making the time to go exercise or go play golf or play guitar or drink a good bottle of wine. And then here's the key thing. Follow the sunbeams back to the sun realize that these good things you have in your life are there because of his goodness to you. That the blessings come from the blesser, that the gifts come from the giver. You you, you know what I'm saying? This idea that we rejoice in the Lord as we celebrate the good things we have and give him the credit and the thanks for it. This in time creates a, a very healthy perspective that stops anxiety from flourishing. It creates a perspective in our life where we just have an atmosphere, uh, a culture of, of rejoicing, of giving thanks, in which anxiety is not able to get a foothold. Secondly, if we want to pursue peace, uh, rejoice. Third thing we see in our text comes to us in verse 5, and I wasn't quite sure how to phrase this, and so I just phrased it exactly as we see it there in the text. If we want to pursue peace, we've got to be reasonable. If you want to pursue peace, you've got to be reasonable. Let your reasonableness, Paul says, be known to everyone. When we get stressed out and we get anxious, we often become just completely unreasonable. We often lose a sense of perspective and give ourselves permission to treat people in an unhealthy way and give ourselves permission to do all sorts of godless things. 
Uh, let me give you an example uh, from my own life. Um, it's not the most recent example, but it's a good example. Um, my brother came to visit us a while ago, and he flew into uh, Reagan Airport, and I was going to go pick him up, and I was a little bit grumpy about this because his flight was late, and I had a 6 a.m. breakfast the next morning, so in I went to Reagan, and of course the flight was delayed. And so round and round I spiraled that. You, you, you know the, um, the, the kind of parking circle? that Well, it's not a parking circle. If you stop there for more than four seconds, someone in a yellow shirt comes and reprimands you. Well, eventually I stopped there. Um, it was around about midnight by this time. Um, stopped. True enough, a guy in a yellow shirt came and told me to move along. I went to crank my engine, and it didn't crank. The next hour was me, so my car is like broken down in the place you must not stop. And so everyone's yelling, and everyone's upset, and everyone's honking their horns and making various sorts of gestures. And um, I'm just sitting there like, you know, sorry, all right? Uh, eventually find a guy, we're able to get my car started again, my brother's flight arrives. So this time it's about at one o'clock in the morning and my grumpiness is rising. I leave Reagan, and I get caught in, you know, this, the... the Sort of, the the the. It, oh. <laughs> this drives me crazy. So you know that road that goes around the Pentagon, right? And you can find your way in, but you can never find your way. In. Yeah. Well, I get caught in that, and I'm messing with my GPS. And the next thing I realize is the blue light's behind me, okay? I stop. The officer says, were you aware that you just went through a stop sign? And I was like, it's, by this point, it's funny, I have, I have like no energy left and I'm just like, no, I had no idea. <laughs> and then he said, have you been drinking tonight? And I was like, really, no. <laughs> we're not, we're not going to do this, are we? And he was like, well, you won't mind doing a sobriety test, so out the car I get. <laughs> I'm walking in the straight line, I'm doing all that stuff. Uh, I actually, this is funny, but if you've ever had one of these, um, there's this bit where they'll hold a pen and they'll say, follow my pen, but follow it with your eyes. Don't move your head, okay? And like a dog, I was like, <laughs> right? <Okay. laughs> and I was just like, oh, I'm failing this thing and I've not had a drink. Anyway, eventually, don't worry, all was well, there was no problem. He, sent, he, he drove off happy as Larry. I got in my car and I just had this moment before I cranked it, like, you better start. <laughs> yeah. It wasn't even a prayer, it was just like an anger, you know. And sure enough it did and we made our way home. Uh, got home, I think it was like two o'clock or something, had to get up at five for my six o'clock breakfast. The next day, this situation, this frustration was before me like this, right? Everywhere I looked, it was there. Wherever I turned, I was upset about the last night. And, you know, you come up with all sorts of self-righteous justifications for everything, you know? You know? So I was just, like, super frustrated by this reality. And I, I doubt that has happened to you, but something similar has happened to you. Something similar has, has definitely happened uh, to you. Those times when you've received unwanted news or something's gone wrong at work or your spouse does that thing that drives you crazy or, uh, you know, you, you're jealous of someone for getting something that you thought you deserved and, and you respond in a really unhealthy way. You might respond out of, out of anger, maybe, you know, one of those people that you can break all Ten Commandments in one email, right? Um, or you might respond by getting upset and crying or you might respond by gossiping about it to someone else. These situations that happen and you just become completely unreasonable completely unreasonable. 
This passage here in Philippians is calling us to a level of emotional maturity, a level of emotional wisdom, so that when things happen, we don't freak out. When things happen, there's not this knee-jerk response. We, we're not sort of, we're able to navigate a situation or deal with a struggle and not be controlled by it. We're able to stop and say, huh, this is not exactly how I hoped this would work out, but I wonder what the Lord is up to here. It's this great biblical quality, actually one of the qualifications for leadership in the church of, of temperance, of having a slow and, and gentle spirit, of not freaking out when things go wrong. Provides, again, a core stability. It doesn't do away with our problems, but it has the effect of making your problem do this. It's still there, but you can see some other things too. You can see the horizon, and you can begin to see how this might in fact fit in to the plan that the Lord is working. If we want to pursue peace, we've got to be reasonable. Fourth thing we see from this text comes to us in verse 6. Look at it with me, where we read that if we want to pursue peace, but we also have to pray. If we want to pursue peace, we've got to pray in everything. By prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. The way to be anxious about nothing is to be prayerful about everything. And I love how Paul piles on the terms here. He says, by prayer, by supplication, with thanksgiving, requests. He adds term upon term to emphasize this point that we should pray. He's not looking at different aspects of prayer or different nuances of prayer. He's rather combining these terms, like surround sound combines to play one song. So these terms combine to make this one point. We should pray. And I wonder if we're honest. You know, most of us find prayer hard. Most of us find prayer quite, quite challenging and difficult. Um, a lot of us find prayer, it's, we're not very motivated to do it. It doesn't seem to do much, and we find it a little boring. And this passage is a great encouragement to us, because it says, we should be motivated to prayer, because the act of prayer, casting your burdens upon the Lord who cares for you, is one of the keys to having peace in your life. Taking the time to pray so to the one who cares for you, is so essential to having a peace in our souls. Last Saturday, yeah, last Saturday, Rosie burst a tire in our car. And when I say burst, that's the right phrase. It wasn't a flat tire. It was like big eight, ten-inch hole in the side of the tire. And she called me and she said, hey, honey. And I was like, it's funny, she said, hey, honey, but I could hear in the voice that it wasn't a hey, honey. So I was like, hey. And she said, I burst the tire, and I've got, you know, a thousand kids in the car, and I need some help. And I was like, great, on my way, okay? Now, why did she do that? Why did she call me? See, if you know me, you know I'm city kid horrible at anything practical, okay? There are literally dozens of other people that she could have called that would have done a better job than I could. She could have grabbed a passerby and they would have done a better job. She called me because she knows that I care and that I love her and that when I hear this has happened, I'm going to do everything I can to help her. And this passage is saying, do you not understand that the Lord is the one who loves you and the Lord is the one who cares for you? 
And you should come to him with your burdens, with your fears, with your anxieties, and he is the one who will do everything he can for you. He knows how to love you. He knows how to love you well. And he will answer your prayers in the way that is the best for you. So often, it's funny. You know the people who have the most stories about answered prayer are the people who pray the most. Right? And it's not rocket science. I really encourage you to, to commit to praying about the, the, the issues that you're struggling with. And just see what the Lord does in and through these circumstances. Just see how he equips you to handle what you th- thought you couldn't handle. Just see how he works in surprising ways to rule and overrule uh, and love you in the way that he knows how. Commit uh, to praying for these things. Fifth thing we see in this text, if we want to pursue peace, is that we have to meditate. This comes in verse 8. Let's look at it together. We've got to meditate. Now, when I say meditate, I'm not thinking of this sort of process of emptying your mind. This is not like the Eastern religions that would say to find peace, you have to clear your your mind from from all uh, distractions. Christian meditation is in many ways the opposite of that. It's not the emptying of the mind, but it's the filling of the mind. For the Christian, meditation means filling your mind. We see this in verse 8 where we read that whatever is true, honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable, excellent, worthy of praise, think about these things. Think about these things. The term here is a term that means to really reflect deeply upon something. It has a a mathematical connotation of, uh, you know, setting your mind to to a particular item and turning it over and reflecting strategically and carefully upon it. Now, the list that he gives us here, um, true, honorable, just, and so on, uh, we're not to read this like, um, like a recipe. Like you should say, okay, think of something true, now think of something honorable, now add a little just, right? Um, again, it's this Paul's surround sound to give us this all-encompassing list. This all-encompassing list. Uh, we know this is true because he uses uh, note the use of whatever is like these things. And if, if anything is like these things. When it comes to gospel truth, take the time to reflect deeply, carefully, weigh them in your mind. This is such an important point because the fight against anxiety is um, so aided by, by our thought lives. Our thought lives play a crucial role in the fight against anxiety. Follow this illustration with me. It really resonates with some. Others have no idea what I'm talking about. So listen or check out for the next couple of minutes. Um, imagine your mind and your brain as a boardroom, okay? And sitting around the table are all the different perspectives in your life, all the different voices that speak into your life. Now, I'm not saying, you know, you hear voices like a crazy person, but I'm saying, you know, we all have these uh, perspectives. We all have, you know, work or finances or family or friends, hobbies, and so on. The way anxiety works is to co-opt these perspectives so that they speak for anxiety. What do I mean? Anxiety comes to the chair where your work is sitting, and it says you're not doing a good job. You're letting this team down. They might let you go. You should be anxious. Then it moves down one chair to where your financial perspective is sitting and it says, see your work? Failing. You know what that means for your finances? You're not going to be able to provide. You should be anxious. 
And it slides down one chair to where your family's sitting. And it says, you've lost your job. You can't provide. You are going to really disappoint your family. You should be anxious. And round the table it goes until the entire boardroom is anxious and freaking out. And if you've struggled with anxiety, you've had these moments, you know what this is like, that your mind, you you hear one perspective, you hear another thought, you worry about work, you worry about family, you worry about the next thing, and you never actually settle on any one of them because they all keep calling out their worries and their concerns. And meditation is the act by which, the means by which, we break into the boardroom and reinstall Jesus as the chair. It's the means by which we, um, we stop our hearts from talking to us and we talk to our hearts. So in this picture, we don't allow anxiety to say all these things about how we won't be able to provide, but instead we meditate and reflect upon the Lord's promises to provide. And so in our financial lives, we're not racked with worry and anxiety about whether we'll be able to make it. But we are at peace because God has promised we will. As we meditate upon these things, we apply the truth of the gospel to all the different areas of our lives together. So if you want to pursue peace, meditate. Sixth and lastly, if you want to pursue peace, you've got to practice all of the above. Look with me at verse 9. Paul says, Whatever you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Really basic point Paul is making here. He's saying, live in accordance with your theology, not in accordance with your anxiety. Don't let your life be driven and dictated by your fears and your worries. Have your life be driven and dictated to by the truth of the gospel. Make a conscious decision to walk in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. And so your theology says that you're not defined by your work, and so you don't become a workaholic and you're able to take a day off. And your theology says that God will provide, so you're at peace about your finances, and you're able even to be generous. And theology says that you've been forgiven much, and so you take the initiative to go and forgive in that stressful conflict. And your theology says that God's delighted with you, so you're prepared to let it go when someone else criticizes you. You live in accordance with the truth and find that your anxieties don't have air to breathe. This is a, a really hard point. I mean, let me close. I'm closing now. The reason this is so clear, uh, so key, is that far too many of us and far too often I live without putting these truths into practice. Jesus says wet paint and what do we do and Jesus has pretty strong words for people who hear his words and don't put them into practice and so a big encouragement would be to take one of these things to take more than that if you're able but at least take one of them and put them into practice this week spend more time remembering who you are in him. Spend more time rejoicing, spending more time being reasonable, spend more time in prayer, spend more time meditating. Take one of these things and put them into practice and just see, just see if it doesn't make a difference to your stress levels. Okay, actually the last thing I'm going to say. Um, We've covered a lot of ground in the last couple of weeks. 
there's a lot more that we could say. I want to really encourage you, if, if you're someone who has struggled deeply with anxiety, has you know, physical manifestations of it, and it's just been a real burden in your life, I want you to know that you are in the right place. You are in the right place. And you have a church and pastors and staff and elders who want to walk on this journey with you. So don't struggle with your anxiety in the dark. Bring it into the light. Come talk to us and, and find that, that we want to be on this path with you. Let's close in prayer. Father, I thank you for the fullness of your word and the fullness of the gospel. I thank you that the gospel is transcendent in the sense that it is just so much more than we could ever fully understand that the salvation and the grace that is ours is too beautiful to comprehend that we have been forgiven and brought into relationship with you and that you are pleased with us as your righteous sons and daughters. It's just, it's, it's, it's beautiful. But Lord, we also thank you that the gospel has this imminence to it, that it is near, that it is present, that it is not just sort of up in the clouds, but it is practical. And your word gives us tools and disciplines that equip us to follow you in the life of grace. And so, Lord, we don't think that we can divorce these tools from your grace, but we see that by following these practical steps that you lay out in your word, we receive the grace of the gospel that ministers to our anxiety, chases away our fears, and gives us peace. So thank you, Lord, for the fullness of of your word. Would you seal it on our hearts and enable us, Lord, to put it into practice this week. We ask in Jesus' name.